Hey everyone, welcome back to the Improv TX Comedy Network. If this is your first time checking out the podcast network, we appreciate it. Please head over to your favorite podcast app, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, or iTunes, and give the Improv TX Comedy Network a like. And just a reminder, the Improv TX Comedy Network is live on YouTube with all your favorite comedians on the improv stage. All links can be found in the description. And with that, on to the podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the Act Out from Open Mic to the Big Stage Comedians. Tell us how stories were made. My name is Duck. Today I'm with a very special comedian. This guy is traveling all across the country right now, making people laugh. The first time I met him, he actually came up during the pandemic and was hanging out at the comedy club just because he'd moved to Texas, I think, at that time. Made a big impression, made an impression on the club. Hilarious jokes, awesome stage presence. We're here with Head Richards. Head, how are you doing, sir? Dude, I'm feeling great. I'm happy to be here with you today, man. This podcast really came through for you guys. It's been blowing up, so I'm happy for you. I like you as a person, you know that. So whenever I see friends succeed, it makes me happy. Hell yeah, dude. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. So, Head, we got to begin where everyone's questioning it because I don't even think you know your real name at this point. <laughs> You've been Head for so long since you were a child, right? Yep. And so throughout the ages, you know... You've gone by this nickname. Where does the nickname come from? For as long as I can remember, I've been called Head. My real name's Josh. It's not a secret. I'm not ashamed. <laughs> of, I'm not ashamed of it. It is weird to hear people say it though. Um, like my own mother calls me Head. Yeah. Um, the only two people I know that do address me by Josh is my grandmother, which is fine. That's your grandmother. Yeah. And then my brother. But that, that kind of bothers me with my brother because he works in pro sports where everyone has nicknames. So what's the big deal yeah, with yeah. me having a nickname? But <laughs> it is what it is, and I just I have fun with it. Uh, it basically started because when I was a kid, I was on proportion. Uh, I hate to rip off Mike Myers and uh, his movie, but I did look like I was an orange on a toothpick. <laughs> just a ginormic size head on this tiny little scrawny body, which I have grown into now. Probably a little too much, but... <laughs> Not my fault. Food tastes really good. No doubt, dude. No doubt. So when you were a child in school and everything, they called you Head. Yeah. Everyone. They called me Head. Uh, I grew up in a real small town by the name of Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. And I'm so – it's such – everyone knows everybody in this in this town. So, like, if you wrote me a check, I can go to my bank as Head Richards and cash it oh, That's there. awesome. We can't do that here in Texas. No. But back home, like, that wouldn't be an issue. That's so crazy, dude. And, and I love the fact that you kind of – You've accepted it as the nickname, and you're just like, that's who I am. And I'm the same way with Duck. Like, that's who I am. Like, people call me David. It, it kind of freaks me out a little bit, but mm. I get it. They don't want to use the nickname. That's fine. But, like, you force people to use the nickname by not really telling them your name ever, right? Well, to me, it's my name. Mm -hmm. It's what I'm known as, I'm comfortable with. Uh, I don't. I have no problem telling people my name's Josh. But when it bothers them that they don't know it, I won't tell them. <laughs> just to kind of irk them a little bit. Um, I wear a size 8 fitted hat. So it's a large hat. Most people, if you don't know the new era fitting system, they wear snapback hats most of the time. Those don't fit my head. Yeah. So just growing up by playing baseball, uh, they never gave me a team hat, so I was always the catcher by default. <laughs> so at a young age, I got a custom-fitted uh, catcher's mask, and I basically had to wear that my whole time playing sports, even when I batted. Very nice, dude. Very nice. And you played sports quite a bit, right? Yeah, I loved baseball growing up. And then uh, back in it was 1999, we got a, a minor league hockey team in my town. So it kind of blew up like hockey was everything. So in seventh grade, I started playing hockey as well. Very nice. Very nice. And how did you get into working for sports then uh so my dad uh he was a it was called march trailways he was a bus driver 
And when we got that new team back in 99, they were going through drivers trying, and he had a tryout with them, and they liked him because he helped them move bags and equipment like that. So I don't think a lot of teams understand when these sports teams travel, there's a lot of moving parts. So because he helped in easing the, the workload for the, the workers with the team, they uh, requested that he become their full-time driver. Very nice. So just through that, I got to start helping out on game nights. Uh, in hockey, we call it a stick boy, but most people probably know it as like a water boy. So like in between periods, filling up bottles, cleaning, folding towels, all that stuff. But it was just cool at an early age for me being around pro athletes. Like I said, I come from a really small town where that's basically all you know. No one, no one really makes it from there. Uh, we are in Texas, though, so two two people that made it is pretty big down here, Rocket and Ishmael mm-hmm. with the Cowboys. Obviously, Cowboys are life here in Texas. So other than that, no one's really made it too big out of our area. Yeah. Yeah, so you're going to break the mold. I mean, that'd be nice. Yeah, dude. <laughs> Hell yeah. How did you get involved with, like, the sports teams down here? Because you work for somebody in baseball right now, right? Yeah, so uh, like I said, I worked for the – it was the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins. It's the AHL affiliate for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Mm-hmm. I started full-time once I was 17, so I started traveling around the country with them, which was freaking awesome. Uh, I I didn't finish high school. I was expelled. (laughs) Why? (laughs) I can imagine you said something. (laughs) So it's going to sound bad because everyone's always like, it's not my fault. Okay. But it really wasn't. We had a corrupt judge. And I have proof, though. There's a documentary on them called Kids for Cash. Oh, yes, I know about this. So long story short, they built this new detention center. Yeah. And he was getting paid to make sure it stayed filled with kids so they can get state funding. Right. He was shipping off kids Mm -hmm. for the dumbest of reasons, too. So, uh, And it's crazy because I remember years later when everything came out, they wanted to sue or like everyone was like a lawsuit against them. And I was like, oh, shit, I, I, I want some money. Yeah, But at the time, I was working for the team, and the ownership was like, we'd appreciate it if you don't uh, get involved in this, because then that brings our name. We don't want pub- bad publicity. So here I was at, what, 19, 20 years old, no college uh, debt. I had a full-time job with benefits, so I, I listened to him. I didn't pursue it, but I was upset when I seen those kids were getting sixty, seventy thousand dollars 70000 Wow, yeah. But the only thing that bothered me about that whole thing, if you look at the list of names of the kids who were paid out for wrongfully being sent away, they were sent away for the wrong things, but they should have been in juvie. They just yeah. didn't get caught for what the real to the Oh, doing. snap. Yeah, I heard about that. By the way, you can hear Julio smashing stuff in the back right now. Uh, <laughs> it'll pick up a little bit, but not too much. Sorry, I got sidetracked, though, but back to sports. So, yeah. Uh, at 17, when I, I left school, everyone's like, oh, you got to go back. you got to finish. And I'm like, I was over it. Um, I, I started full-time with the hockey team as an assistant equipment manager, which was awesome for me. Early age, I got to travel, experience a lot of cool things on someone else's dime. So that makes it a lot easier. But after my seventh season, I got an interview uh, for the Dallas Stars hockey team. And I, I got the position, which was really cool. And uh, that's how I moved to Texas. So. And you're still a pretty young guy, right? You're in your 20s, uh, right? I wish. 30, uh- 34 with a body of a 50-year-old. <laughs> Dude, trust me. I feel you. I'm, I'm edging on 40, and I feel like I'm 72. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So what all did you do with the hockey team? So I was an equipment manager, and what that entitles, I know we're down south, so hockey's not huge. Mm. And I knew that the first day I moved here. So I went to a restaurant, and the waitress was like, oh, what do you do for a living? I was like, actually, I just got a new job with the Dallas Stars. Like, I'm, I'm excited to tell somebody that. Like, I'm working in NHL. Like, I'm proud of that. And she was like, you moved halfway across the country to work <laughs> for them? She's like, why didn't you try to go work for the Dallas Cowboys? Like, it was that easy. Like, oh, I could just get hired by yeah. them. 
So that kind of made me open my eyes the first day where people did not care. It's more of a fair weather sports team when it comes to any other sport, but we were good, so the buildings were packed out every night, so it was fun. Uh, I worked for them for about three years, and then during that time I met uh, a baseball player, and we just became really good buddies. And when my contract was uh, winding down, he basically made me an offer to where I didn't even field a new contract from the hockey team. It was just too good of an offer. Uh, he's an unbelievable guy. He does a lot in the community here to give back. But uh, his only job requirement he ever told me is when I travel now, I always got to have my PlayStation with me. Wait, why? So this way, if he needs someone to play with, I'm available. <laughs> that's awesome. But that's a great job task, right? Yeah, oh, dude. I got to play video games. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> dang. I got to play video games with this guy who I enjoy hanging out with, too. That's but awesome. I'm really happy that he came into my life. Because at that point, for previous between the seven and the minors and the three in the NHL, uh, I was always taking care of people. So I forgot how to take care of myself and be happy. So it was a little bit of a rough period where he just taught me to get back to who I am and have having not that I didn't enjoy myself then, but focus on you. Mm. And that's kind of how I got like went into stand up where like okay, let's have fun. Well, let's let's backtrack just a little bit. What were you like as a kid? Were you the funny kid? Were you shy? Were you making cracking people up at that time? Well, I was very athletic as a kid. Uh, I grew. I hit my you call it puberty, my growth spurt at 11 years old. Holy crap! So I was almost six foot one at that point at 11. So you dominate sports wow. as a kid when you're that tall. Yeah. And it was almost a downfall to me because I got so good at baseball, I became too cocky. Yeah. Now that I'm older, I realize like I was an uncoachable kid where it was like, <laughs> screw you, coach. I just went three for four. You ain't telling me what to do. Yeah. And that was kind of not good for me. I wish, look, going back now, working in sports, where it's just, I wish I kept my mouth shut because I'm not saying I could have went pro, but I think I definitely could have went to college for, for baseball. So you were very athletic. And so where did comedy come in when you were a kid? Did you watch like the first special and you're like, I think I can do that or I want to do that or did that come later? For me, comedy was SNL. I grew up in Wilkes-Barre. We're about an hour and a half from uh, New York City. So every Saturday night as a family, because I, I come from a very poor family, so my parents always had to work. So the weekends, they were off, so that's when we actually got to come together. So every Saturday night, we sat in front of that TV and we watched SNL together. And Like I said, that's the mid-early 90s and the heyday of SNL. Yeah. So that to me, that's what comedy was at that point. Yeah, so that was your first exposure. That was my first exposure, too, was mm -hmm. watching... Like you said, the 90s SNL, which was the classic for us. You yeah, know what I mean? Sandler, Schneider, Spade. Yeah. And all especially those Chris Farley. you got to be uh, kidding me. Farley. God, God bless him, man. Dude, I love that stuff. And like, in, like I think I watched that all the time, too. And it just spoke to me. And then I saw Dana Carvey's special. They were shown on Comedy Central all the time. Uh, and then that was kind of like the introduction. Because you went from SNL to the special, the stand-up special, to actually watching stand-up. And mm -hmm. it just made a world of difference. But did you have aspirations at that time for to be on SNL or anything like no, that? No, not, nothing like that yet. Um, I do love Chris Farley. He's definitely an inspiration for me now because I, I embrace the fat lifestyle. Absolutely. I try to make it funny, though, so everyone can enjoy it where it's not like, oh, here's, another, here's a piece of shit. Yeah. Like, let's, let's have fun of it. Like, we're here. We're escaping the outside world. And Chris Farley understood that. And so many people came together and loved him. Yeah. I love after shows. I do jokes about being bigger. People come out after the shows, like, they're pointing at their stomach. Oh, look how big I am. <laughs> and it means, like, 
And that means the world to me that I connected with someone I don't even know. Mm. But I made them happy for that short period of time in the day. Yeah, I was getting called Ducky Doo all day yesterday <laughs> instead of Dicky Doo. Which if you ever I'm watch sorry. Ted's comedy, you'll get it. But it's it's Thank a you. great joke. You're getting older. Like you said, you weren't focusing on yourself. Mm-hmm. So you decided to do comedy. What was the spark for that? So I'm about four years in now. So about a year before I started, I one of my good buddies, Shippy, who was on a radio station here, called me and he's like, Hey, I got this extra ticket for a comedy show. Do you want to go with me? And I was like, sure, because I had nothing going on. But at that time, I didn't love stand-up. I also didn't hate it. I was just indifferent. I had no feelings either way. And that night, it was Brad Williams. I was at the Arlington Improv. And I may or may not have eaten two or three pieces of candy before I went. <laughs> and I just... Special candy? Oh, it, <laughs> it kind of makes you float. Yes. It was just one of the best experiences of my life. Like, I never experienced live comedy like that. To make you laugh. Like, my cheeks were just sore for days from chuckling the whole night. And uh, I just fell in love with stand-up then. So, for the next year, I'd go to, like, a show a month. And traveling around like I did with my uh, with the sports job, I'd, I'd look in different cities. Who's here? Okay, let's go. And then after that season, we came back to Dallas, and I'm like, let's see who's in town. And as soon as I pull up my uh, my phone, I get a, an ad. Oh, do you like stand up? Do you think you could do it? And uh, it was only 140 bucks for like a stand up level one class, and I was like, I've spent worse money than that in my life. <laughs> let's give this a shot. Who was it with? Uh, I was with uh, Dallas Comedy House. Very nice. Which uh, they're no, no longer open, so I guess I failed them. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> My bad. But so, it was cool because it taught you. Listen, I, I'm funny in a room with guys, with my buddies. I grew up playing sports, uh, almost like a bully even, getting back to saying what I was as a kid. Uh, but that was accepted back then. Don't cancel me now if you want. <laughs> um, but I was just always, I always look for that laugh in people. But stand-up taught me how to present yourself because when you're on stage you're, you know that you're the only one there right you don't have people to bounce stuff off they know the background story so you got to repaint that whole picture and that's kind of what dallas comedy house did for me uh paulos uh, freero was my my teacher i still love him to this day the only thing that bothers me about that class is everyone who took it quit after they finished yeah that's what happens a lot they and get I'm scared like, away from it it's almost like they did something for a hobby yeah but there were some kids in my class where I'm like, they're fun. If they just stuck with it, what could they be doing these days? Did you ever take any other classes, or was that the only one? So I, I took that one, and then uh, fast forward about two years, I was I spent a summer in Chicago, where Second City, oh, the, the mecca of entertaining, comedy, film, everything. Uh, anyone who's ever been on SNL has went to Second City. The Ackroys, the Farleys. Uh, I'm a big Office fan. Michael Scott, uh, Steve Carell was there. And it, it was just the nostalgia. Like I went to the OG set. Obviously, they have a lot of second cities now, but that was the main one. Walking around there, going to class. There's pictures on the wall of these famous, famous, famous celebrities, but as kids before they became something. So it's cool to see that stuff. So I did a stand-up level one and two there, and I'm very happy I did. It, it opened a lot of doors for me. I'd love to go back and take some of their other stuff. It's just Chicago's expensive. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be awesome. And that's the legendary one, like you said. But to be able to yeah. perform on that stage, like there's special moments for me I'll forever cherish. And I remember performing on that stage. It's just, you know, it's like it's special. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So what was the first open mic like? The first time you actually went out and did it? Did you, because you took the class, did you actually go to an open mic? Or? So I was probably, I hated to my own home, but I... I 
I'm a sports guy, so when I do something, I'm all in. And the teacher's like, hey, I want you guys to be hit, try to hit at least two or three mics a week if you could in between classes. And I remember after like two or three weeks, because at the end of our class, we'd all do our five minutes that we were doing on our showcase. So I felt confident. I was like, let's go. So I found uh, the legendary hat tricks in Louisville. <laughs> legendary, yes. That was my first ever open mic experience. And I showed up late because it was after my class. I'm like, I want to do my set again. And all the comics sitting around, because they used to do the raffle where the, if you perform, you get a raffle ticket, you win 50 bucks. And the last comic was on stage when I walked in, and the host was like, oh, yeah, I'll throw you up next. All the comics hated me right from day one uh -huh. because they were ready for the raffle so they can go home. And then I go on stage, and I felt like I did good because I just did my five-minute set of class. And then uh, I ended up winning the raffle at my first oh, open mic, 50 bucks the first day. And then they really hated you, then, mm -hmm. didn't they? Damn. But so I felt really, really good now. Yeah. And then the next night was One Nostalgia. It was and what? The One Nostalgia. I never heard of that place. Uh, it's just slightly north of Dallas. It's they got a vending machine for adult adult toys in there. Oh, if that snap. tells you what type of place it yeah, is. Give me one second. My throat was full of phlegm. Sorry. You're, so they. You're welcome. So they have. <laughs> <laughs> I know I gotta keep it in. God damn it. <laughs> Clip it. Yeah, done. <laughs> Hey everyone, it's just Duck jumping in to say thank you so much for checking out the podcast today. If you dig it, please head over to our website at improvtx.com where you can check out our calendar for all the upcoming shows in Addison, Arlington, Houston, and San Antonio. And don't forget to follow our social media, all links in the description. And with that, back to the podcast. They have adult toys in the, the crane machine, you were saying. Mm -hmm. so, so that's the kind of place it yeah, is. Yeah, it's very... Risque. Yes. Yeah. But anyway, so I went in there very confident, and I, I was there early because I was always taught to show up early, and I was like the second person to go, and I froze like 30 seconds in. Oh, no. And I don't know what that, this is my second time getting up at an open mic, and at that time, to me, that's the big moment, right? And I just froze, and I didn't know what to do, and it was cool because I, I think it was Emily Griefer. She was just like, well, where are you from? Just giving me like different things to talk about to keep me moving, so I... I was like a deer in headlights at mm -hmm. that moment. So I'm happy for her, David Diaz at that time. Like, they helped me get through that set. So what was the first show like? So you took the class. Did you have to do a show at the yeah, end Yeah, so they it? do the showcase. That's like your graduation thing. But that's where you invite all your family friends out. So I, all my buddies from here, because I don't have family down in Texas. I, I probably had like 10 buddies out. And I got good responses, but looking back now, it's because they were my friends just being supportive. Yeah. It's tough for me to watch that set after yeah. everything I've learned through the years. Um, but it was cool. Um, it's something you go. You have to do it to experience it. So how long before you started getting on shows? I never accepted a booking in the beginning if I didn't feel because I didn't feel I was ready. Because you were just hitting open mics like I was, bar open mics and stuff like that. I was hitting time. three to four mics a night. Like I said, I, I jump in maybe a little too much, but in the beginning it's just getting your reps in, getting on stage, feeling what it's like, bombing. Mm -hmm. um, I wasn't afraid to bomb because I know I'm trying. Not afraid to take risks. I started doing some like the and friend shows or some of the bar shows, but just five minutes, nothing major. I, I wasn't even good, but you, you know I me, mean, people like hanging around me, and that's half the battle, like just being a fun hang with comedy. Yeah. Um, You're very good at networking, mm -hmm. just in general. That's something that you do. Like uh, yesterday, we were in Arlington, and you came over to help us out because we needed extras for a commercial they were filming. And 
very wise. You turned to me at one point, they were going back to the improv, and you said, do they need someone to be a comedian? I was like, that's a great idea. I could act that role, all right. (laughs) And I said to the director, I said, hey, do you need a comedian for on stage? He's an actual comedian. And then you gave us, what, 20 minutes of material on stage or something like that, and you actually... You were cracking us up. We were having a good time. You know what I mean? They're filming in the back. But you were in the right place at the right time. It's kind of like luck kind of follows you in that sense. And it does, too, because when you were acting, and we'll get to this later, luck kind of played into that, too. You're good (laughs) at networking is what I was going to say. You make sure that you're seen, but you're not, like, overly seen. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, you're not needy. so. So I think a lot of that comes just from my upbringing. I don't come from much, so I'm appreciative of everyone I come in contact with. Uh, when I, nowadays, too, like when I go to venues, I say hi to every server, bartender, door guy, um, because th- these shows just don't happen because I show up. There's a lot of work a lot of people don't see, so I want to feel, I want them to know that we appreciate what they're doing. So I, I make sure I go up, thank everyone, hello, I introduce myself after the weekend, thank you guys, great work. Uh-huh. It's just being a good person. Right. It's not hard to do. Yeah. But some people just get these egos, and it's like, you don't want to work with them. Yeah. I want people to say, oh, head's going to be, this is going to be a fun weekend. Like, yeah. Yeah, dude, that's the way it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and you're so excited about stand-up. Well, we've talked about it a little briefly. You do acting, too. So, Correct. So you fell into that? Is that right? Like, that was by accident or you were, or more by luck, I guess, because you were at a show? It's another right place, right time. But before we get in, I just want to circle back to what we were just talking about. Uh-huh. I was lucky because of traveling around with the baseball player. We were in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And it was my last week then, so I put a post on my Facebook. Hey, guys, my last week in Chicago. I hope to see all of you. Otherwise, I'm going back to Dallas on Saturday, whatever it was. And uh, the guy's name was Curtis at the Laugh Factory. He's the booker. He, he calls me. He's like, hey, you're leaving town? Like, why? And I told him. He's like, listen, I want to give you a show here. Oh, wow. And I'm like, what? Like, at this, I'm nine months in at this time. I don't deserve. Oh, wow. I don't deserve to be on that stage yet. That's a world-famous place. Uh-huh. And he was like, no, man. He's like, you came into this city for the five, six months you've been here. You were doing four to five. Because Chicago, there's so many open mics. You're doing four to five mics every night of the week. I respect your effort and hustle. Like, you deserve this. And I went out there. It was okay. I didn't do bad. I didn't do great. It was just. But you headlined it. No, no, no. Just, he put me on the show. Okay. I ended up doing, it was a Saturday night, 7.30 show. So primetime spot, 350 people. They have an upper deck there. Oh, wow. It was. I'm getting chills just thinking yeah. of it now. And you've been back there recently, right? Yeah. Um, and he's been, he was great to me. But after that said, he was like, head, I'm proud. You didn't freeze. He's like, so many people get up there for the first time and just, and just hit like a deer in the headlights. And then he talked to me after. And that's why I, I am how I am now at club talking to everyone. He's like, he's like, just show up at a club because you never know when someone's not going to be there. And if you're a good person, you could feel that they're going to put you up there compared to Joe, Joe B, whoever it is who's sitting there drinking all night getting drunk. Like, you treat this like a job, you're mm-hmm. going to get more. So after that, when I came back here, I start working as a door guy. What, what, which club? Hyenas, right? Yes. Yeah. So and you that, start working at Hyenas. Just as a door guy because in Dallas here, Friday, Saturday, we don't really have mics. Mm-hmm. And to me, it was crucial in my development to be watching these pro guys on a daily basis and how they're performing. And then seeing like parts where they're messing up but how they're able to spin it to recover, to get back on track, was very crucial for my development. And uh, I did that for probably two years. And I'll still pop in. If I have nothing going on, I'll still go hang out at a club on a night if I'm not booked, just because I don't want to sit home. Like, yeah. It does me no good. 
But you do you get to work when you pop in, or you just pop in? Because I I think six months ago I saw you there. No, during Christmas I saw you there. I think some of both. Yeah. So, so it just it depends on the night. Because my head's here, he can work if yeah, he wants. I get I definitely get a lot more <laughs> guest spots than most probably. Mm-hmm. But uh, I and I don't even go to to get on stage if they're on nights I'm not booked. It's just I like being around those people. I, these clubs, the the workers, I'm nice to them. It feels like they're family to me now. So it's just good being around family at all right. times. Right, and it, it's got a good vibe over mm-hmm. there. It really does. So yeah, I'm just grateful for Curtis. He was so nice to me. Um, I was just there again this past weekend. I had this uh, Saturday Sunday gig in Chicago, so I called him. I was like, "Hey, I'm flying in Friday." He gave me two shows Friday night. I've honestly probably performed there now probably 40, 50 times. Oh wow! And I still get goosebumps before I walk on stage. Not that I'm nervous. It's just the excitement. You're at the Laugh Factory, like, right? It's just a special place. I always love walking in there because Richard Pryor opened that club in Chicago. He was the first comic on stage. They have his actual suit. But they yeah. have his suit on display, and it's not a wax figure, but it's a figurine that looks like a huge, lifelike size uh, figure of him with that suit on, the cufflinks, shoes, the oh, whole nine yards. Awesome. Like, that guy's a legend. Like To see that's pretty cool. So if you ever filmed a special or anything like that, you'd want to film it there. That's your club. I never thought of that. Yeah. A lot of people ask, like, that's like, oh, when are you doing your special? I'm not focused on that yet. Yeah. I'm trying to get to my 45 minutes. I got about 30 to 35 good stage-ready material. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to do something I'm not ready for. Yeah. Because you go to a show, people are paying their hard-earned money to be there. I don't want to disappoint them. Right. So I just want to go with what I know I could do and then go from there. Um, as far as film, I, I think I'd have to do it in my hometown, my first one. Just yeah. because it's, it's, that's home. I want my the people who helped me get to where I am now, I want them to be there for that moment. Have you been able to perform in your hometown yet? So I recently, uh, thanks to Steve Trevino... I got to perform open host for him uh, about two months ago in February uh, at our theater there, the Kirby, which was unbelievable. That was my first ever theater show. But for me, it wasn't even about my first theater. That was I was about four years in. That's my first time that uh, my mom ever got to come see me. Very nice. Did she love it or was she like, what are you doing talking like that? Because <laughs> you do have that one joke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And well, first off, when I did that joke, I, re- I told her, and she loved it. Oh, so she was on board, which she knew. I, I talk to her every day. Obviously, I don't get to go home too often, so mm-hmm. I do make sure I call her every day just to check in. It's your mom. She loves you. So mm-hmm. to be able to her to come see me, like I, I'm getting a little choked up, but it's and that meant the world to me. Yeah. It wasn't about my first theater show. It was my first show my mom seeing me. Because oh, awesome. for four years, you put you know how much effort I put in, and... To finally have a payoff like that, like it just means the world to me that Steve gave me that opportunity. And at the time, I thought that was the only show I was doing. Mm-hmm. I just flew up there. I was, I'm getting to perform for my mom. After the show, Steve was like, man, unbelievable first show. Keep it going for the next two. Oh, snap. And I'm like, <laughs> next two? What do you mean? He's like, why aren't you doing the other two Pennsylvania cities with me? And I was like, yes, I will. Like, <laughs> absolutely. But I didn't know that was the plan. So here I thought I was doing one show, and then we were in Philly the next night, and then that was 1,300 sold out. Oh, wow. And then Reading on Saturday, which was 1,600, or, yeah, 1,650 sold out to the rafter. Oh, wow. Like, and it's just, I don't want to say it's easy, but how many, like, terrible bar shows and just bad things I've been a part of to where all that hard work pays off because every little thing you do, those crowds, because they're excited to be there, like, these theaters have been there for hundreds of years. So it's a big moment for them. So they're laughing at even 
even a word you're using to set up that I've never got laughed at before. <laughs> it felt great. Um, but I remember my mom's like, I was waving at you the whole time. Did you Aww. see me? And theaters is not like clubs. Like like here, they're mounted in the middle. Mm-hmm. So you could duck and dive in between the sea people. But at the theaters, they had two operating spotlights that move with you. So I couldn't see nothing. Oh, wow. Which kind of scared me when I was in Philly. Because when I started the show, I was like, oh, I'm just going to connect with the people. I don't even want to do material yet. Just, guys, it's great to be back in Pennsylvania. I grew up just up the highway in Wilkes-Barre. And then I was like, about 10 years ago, I moved to Dallas, Texas. And I got booed out of the building. Oh, no. And listen, I know in Philly, don't talk about the Cowboys. I, I'm from the area. I get it. But I didn't even say it. I was just saying I moved to Dallas. And they were it was the most thunderous boos. I was scared. So I was like, they're about to hit me with something. And I'm not even going to see it coming. <laughs> Old school tomatoes. Yeah. Boom. And I'm in my head panicking now. Because usually when you poke the bear, I have something lined up to hit him with to get it back on track. But I was just trying to talk off the top of my head. And I was like, okay, how am I going to fix this? And I was just like, hold on, guys, hold on. I never told you guys that I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. But I will say that it is nice being close to them to feel that misery they experience (laughs) year after year after year. I got a standing ovation into that EAG trash chant they do for the Eagles. Oh, wow. And I was like, okay, we're back on track. Let's do my material. I remember walking off stage, and theaters have ran by unions. Mm -hmm. And the head union boss was right at the side of the stage, and he was just like, (laughs) Ed, <laughs> I thought you fucked up that whole show 30 seconds in But you fixed it You recovered that so well He's like, you are forever welcome here Oh, that's awesome dude. So at first I'm like, I might not get paid tonight <laughs> Yeah. Wow, yeah, I would have been panicking too That's mm-hmm. so cool that you bought it back Well, let's talk about the acting Like you said, I know you didn't get into it intentionally mm-hmm. It was by chance You were at the Laugh Factory, is that right? No, no, uh, so fast forward from there I'm about two years in, I'm in Detroit, Michigan okay. For the summer that, That's kind of where I got my break in stand-up, I feel I get like one-off bookings a lot But no weekend work And it's just one of those right place, right times uh, one of my buddies from Chicago was featuring at this club, One Night Stands. He's like, hey, come hang out. So I went there, and I was just hanging out. I'm sitting next to the owner of the club, Booker, uh, Mike Green. And hes I could tell he's getting heated on his face. And I'm like, Mike, you okay, man? Like, I just met him, but hey, someone's having an issue. Like, I'll help. Yeah. I was like, Mike, you okay? He's like, no, man. This whole sh- she's bombing right now. And they had uh, Dave Cooley's, like, surprise stopped in. Uncle oh, Joey wow. from Full House. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cut he, it out. Yep. Yeah. And he's like, this is his first time ever at my club, and the crowd's not going to be warmed up. Like, he's just going on this rant now. And I'm like, I'm a new guy. He doesn't know me, right? So I'm just like, I feel out of place. He's like, hey, can you go give me 10 minutes, please? And I'm like, okay. So I just went up to 10 minutes, warmed the crowd up. I felt like I did good. But when I walked off, it was another finger-pointing moment when Mike was like, (laughs) my office right now. And then we went in, and he's like, hey, how come you never sent me an email with your demo and stuff? And I'm like, well, I, I already did twice. No response. <laughs> he's like, man, sorry. He's like, I never check it. <laughs> what? Why did he ask then? <laughs> but he uh, he booked me that night for two weekends, two separate weekends. And that was kind of my first weekend work. Nice. And it was cool because working that club, then other clubs see you work, and they're like, oh, we want to bring you here now. And then it's just a trickle effect. So I, I definitely owe a lot of credit to Mike Green. I'll forever have love. Like I'm wearing a Detroit shirt right now. Because a lot of people are like, oh, is Detroit home for you? Is that where you're from? No, it's just they show me so much love in the beginning, and that means the world to me. I'll forever be grateful to them. Hell yeah. So just doing shows in, in and around Detroit and all over Michigan, um, after a show, someone came up to me, and they're like, Head, what are you doing tomorrow? And I said, sleeping? 
Same thing I do every day. <laughs> and they're like, we're filming this movie. We need a guy to play a security guard. Would you be interested? I'm there. What time? Tell me what I need to wear. So I showed up. Uh, can I plug the movie or no? Yeah. So it's called The Pop-Up. It's on, it's on Amazon Prime, and I think they just had to go to Tubi as well. And I play a security guard. And at first, I just thought I'm going to be an extra. And then just from them liking me being on set, being a fun character, like, oh, actually, had come here, be in this scene. And that movie was cool because there was no script. Mm-hmm. Everything was kind of just improv. They were like, hey, this is the direction we want you to go. You get, there's a lot of comedians on there, so, like, let's just have fun with it. I ended up, like, becoming a regular character on that movie where I thought I was just going to get maybe background work or something. Right. And so, people can check it out on Tubi, right? On Tubi. It's free on Tubi, so don't spend any money. There you go. <laughs> or if you want to support me, go on Amazon Prime, pay the two ninety nine to rent it. There you go. But it's cool. Like, I remember when that came out, like, seeing yourself on the big screen. Or on the stream, because I stream every day. So to actually see me there talking, I'd have seen with Aha Davis, who's a big Instagram star, where he was unbelievable. He filmed the one day, and then at the end of his day, they were like, hey, Haha's leaving. If anyone wants to get photos with him, he'll take them with him now. Like, he's that big of a star. And everyone got a photo, and I didn't. And when he was leaving, he's like, hey, how come we didn't get a photo together? And I'm like, Haha, what are we going to do in this photo that's going to top that's we just filmed a movie scene smoking weed together yeah that's way cooler than any stupid picture we could ever get exactly and he was like i respect that he's like here take down my agent's number he's like if you're ever in a town i'm performing at call he's like you'll always be welcome i'm gonna put you on my stage very nice so that was a cool experience and then just from that movie people asking me to go do these other movies so i ended up filming four separate so we had the pop-up um power and money i played a cop where we pulled over the main character full swat outfit that was pretty cool um, I tried to keep my badge because it was a narcotics badge. <laughs> they took it back. And then uh, I was an executive for this company in Melanin, mm-hmm. which had just about to get released. So I'm not sure where you can watch that at just yet. And then I played uh, my last movie I filmed. I had two days left in Detroit. I get a phone call. It's the casting director. And they're like, hey, are you still in town? And I said, yeah. They're like, hey, we're, we're filming tomorrow at 930 in the morning. We need someone to come take pictures of little kids. <laughs> I'm like, what? There's no, I don't care if it's a movie. Like, I have standards. I'm not doing it. Yeah. And the lady's like, no, 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 no. Like, the main character dies and they make a mural in the city for him. So it's all these kids that he inspired. So you're basically working for the newspaper to take a picture of these school kids. <laughs> and I'm like, please explain it like that yes. next time. I'll be there at 830. <laughs> Has that movie came out? That one's come out too. That's called Detroit Dreams. Very That's nice. on uh, Tubi. I'm in literally in the last scene, so they basically freeze frame after I do the photo, and that cuts into the credits. And you're just getting these by chance, basically, out of luck, right? So I, I don't know if you know this, but I, I've come to the realization that in Detroit, there's a shortage of white actors. <laughs> so I, I benefited from that, and yes, they did typecast me, like security guard, executive, photographer, cop, but hey, man, it's cool. It's just, because you know in comedy, you need credits. Yes. I, I have no ambition to be an actor. That's not, I just like getting on stage and making people laugh and feel good about life for a little short period. Right. But to get more comedy bookings, you got to have these credits. So if something pops up, by all means, I'm in. Yeah. So you travel a lot because of your job, too. Mm-hmm. So you were going across the country doing shows and stuff like that, yeah. right? And it was cool because early on, being able to travel to all these different cities, uh, like I said, I work for a baseball guy. There's only so many baseball games you can go to. So instead of going to games every day, I would just start hitting mics, meeting people, going to these clubs, and 
I was able to learn that, let's say I do a joke here in Dallas. I go to Chicago, the same joke ain't going to work. I go to San Fran, the same joke ain't going to work. But it's not changing your whole joke. You might just have to change a word or two. So this way they can relate more. So learning that in an early age has helped me succeed now where I'm at. So when I'm going into these other cities for the first time, let's go walk around the town before the show. Let's learn about the city a little bit. And What is the weirdest experience you've ever had in a comedy club? The weirdest thing you ever saw on stage? You obviously have something very good. So recently, actually, I was up in Boston at the MGM Casino, and it was on St. Paddy's Day. And I don't know if you guys know this, but in, in Boston on St. Paddy's Day, you don't have to go to work. And that's they nice. can't charge you for a sick day because that's how big being Irish is up there. So people start drinking, I feel, Thursday night when they get off work. So I remember <laughs> it was at this comedy club called Roar, and it's inside the casino. And it's not a typical comedy club. And by that, I mean you work for the casino and you show up that night for your shift. They're like, actually, we're stationing you here. So there's nobody policing the floor. It's complete chaos. Everyone's three sheets to the wind. I'm getting heckled before I even get on stage. <laughs> and I'm like, what the heck? What'd they say? Uh, there, was, there was this drunk guy in the front row that was like, redhead, <laughs> redhead. He just kept saying it over and over. And then finally I'm like, that's right, man, but that's ginger to you. <laughs> and I was like, I will not be disrespected on the only night of the year I'm getting laid. Yes. <laughs> and then he like, he gets up and just walks out. What? And I'm like... Did I piss them off? I got to feel like I went that hard at him. Yeah. And then after my set, I stepped outside for a minute to get some fresh air, and he was sleeping on the bench. Oh, no. And it's almost like, hey, I went to the comedy club to heckle. They acknowledged me. My night's complete. Yeah, yeah, I'm done. I'm out of here. And I was just like, what the heck? And then after everything was over, I was going to leave. He bought koozies from me. Oh, nice. <laughs> Is this the same show where people were fighting? Yeah, so getting back to that. So the whole, I tried to go to my material and they kept interrupting. Like I said, they were so drunk. They had no clue what they were doing. And no one was there telling them to be quiet. So I was just like, finally, okay, I, got, I can't do any material. Let's just talk to the people because that's what they want. And that's where all those experiences pay off finally from those bad bar shows. Where it's like, I was able to riff for 25 minutes with these people. And I didn't feel it went well because not only are they heckling me, then we got other crowd members heckling other crowd members. And as they're finishing their beers, they're chucking empty <laughs> beer cans at each other. And I'm like, first of all, you should be throwing at the comics, but don't throw anything at me. No. And But like when other people were getting hit with the cans, they weren't upset. They'd stand up and be like, woo! <laughs> like, I'm still, that was over a month ago, I'm still losing sleep on that. <laughs> That's an awesome story. So I'm not sure if it's the worst or the best show I've ever been a part of. <laughs> so I remember the next day I showed up and I was talking to a bartender. She's like, man, Head, I didn't know who you were. But you were absolutely hilarious last night. And in my head, I'm like, did you watch the show? <laughs> but also, I'm like, okay, thank you. At least I know it paid off. So. Yeah. Dude, that's awesome. That's definitely my weirdest night in comedy ever. Oh, yeah. What's your writing process like? Um, writing process? I don't really have a writing process. I have ADHD. So I, I, in the beginning, I used to try to sit down like a lot, two, three hours a day to write. And that doesn't work for me. Everyone's different. I'm not telling people don't do that. But for me, I get my ideas when I'm driving. So it's just an idea pops in my head. I write it down, the quick cliff notes, and then I'll go hit a mic and try it and see if there's legs there. If I, if I feel it works, then I'll, next few mics, I'm just working on that joke, talking about it on stage time and time again. So I feel like hands-on performing helps me. And that's just me, not everybody. And then I'll record everything on video anymore, and I watch it back. I know some people like to record sound, which is good. Do, do what makes you happy. But part of our performance is how we move. 
And I was able to, through watching video, pick up on these ticks I was doing where I feel like I was hurting jokes with people like, what's wrong with this guy? So able to correct that stuff and it's just long drives going on these, getting booked, traveling five, six hours in a car to a venue. That's where I'm coming up with my best stuff. Do you find it hard to rewatch yourself or to watch yourself whenever after you're done? Because like that's something for me I don't like watching. It's a lot easier now. Yeah. Obviously, I wasn't good. I mean, I'm not great now, but mm-hmm. at least it's watchable. But I think part of me hating formally watching my stuff is because I was so bad up there. Yeah. But you have to, how are you supposed to correct your problems if you don't see the problem yourself? It's not, I don't like blaming the crowd, all this and that. As a comic, I feel like you should be able to adjust to the crowd. You know, they don't like that. Let's move on. Yeah. Feel the crowd. Not, be able to, not being afraid to just bail on a joke middle of it because the crowd's not into it. And yeah. then let's find out what they are into. Yeah. So how do you deal with hecklers? I don't, I like them. Yeah. Um, don't come to me and heckle me on my shows. <laughs> it's just those uh, genuinely natural heckles that happen. I love going. Now that I'm featuring now, too, you're doing 25, 30 minutes. You're able to go down that rabbit hole with them. Why did they laugh so hard at that joke? Or why did they say that? Let's. It's being creative on the top of my head. Because it's fun for me. It's not the same material I've been doing for a while. It's let's create new stuff. There's jokes I've been doing for two two years now where because of a heckler, I might have a new minute to add to that joke because I, I learned something from what they what they felt off that joke. I like hecklers too. Mm-hmm. It makes the show exciting. It makes it interesting. The first time I got heckled, it threw me off completely. Mm-hmm. But after that, I was just like, oh, that's funny. But even circling back into the Boston thing. If I wasn't experienced with that by that point, that's that would have been th- 25 minutes of just misery. Mm-hmm. Like I remember in the beginning, I used to be scared for five minutes, but now 25 minutes is a legit amount of time yeah. where if I wasn't good at that part yet, it would have been tough. Yeah, yeah. that's And you're right. The bar shows is where you go to get heckled. Mm-hmm. And it, like the worst part is if you get heckled and then you say something back and they just ignore you, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, man, I lost. <laughs> like Because they're just like, ah, you're not even important enough to pay attention to mm-hmm. at this point. But if they heckle you and they keep fighting, that's when it becomes a lot of fun. Yeah, so, oh, I have a blast with it. Yeah, dude, is comedy's fun. Mm-hmm. Comedy is fun. Yeah. Well, with that said, what advice do you have to people who are up and coming or just getting started in comedy? You know, people are just going to open mics for the first time or taking a class. What would you say is the best advice you have for them? I don't think I'm worthy enough to be giving advice. Oh, yet. dude, you are worthy enough, dude. Like I said yesterday, you got on stage, and I've heard the jokes before, mm. but I still was laughing. Like I love your pizza crust joke. Like, <laughs> I think it's amazing, dude. So, like, no, you. Have- I also love pizza crust for yeah. the record. <laughs> <laughs> so what? I mean, like, just something as simple as saying, like, you have to change your 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 wording of stuff whenever you go to different cities and things like that. I think the most important part is to have fun. Because if you're having fun, the people are going to feel that. Don't be afraid to bomb. Take risks. Some of my, my happy times right now in comedy is if I'm getting heckled and trying to come off the top because it's fresh. It's me being creative on the spot. Because you get tired of doing your same jokes over and over. Yeah. So I enjoy that part. But as far as advice, have fun with it. Put the time in. You get out of comedy what you put in. If you treat it like a hobby, you're not going to get nothing out of it. Yeah. Talk to everyone. Don't go to an open mic and just sit in the corner. Be, don't be over assertive with stuff, but go introduce yourself to all the other comics. And that's how you're going to, in the beginning, that's how you're going to get most of your work. It's them running their, their one-off, one-night shows where, hey, I'm going to get some stuff. Let's see what it's like working in front of actual people. Instead of working in a bar where they're trying to watch the game. Like, for instance, I was in Oakland uh, my first, like from month three to five. And that's when the Warriors just became good again. 
So we're sitting there trying to do open mic. People are excited because the Warriors are good, trying to watch the game where they're like, shut up, we don't care about you. Come on, Steph, let's go, Clay." And it's just that stuff. Yeah, it sucks at the time, but it makes you better down the road. Comedy's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Don't get mad because one club says you're not ready. There's thousands of other clubs, and I'm proof of that because the main club still tells me no to this day. But I've been paid now to perform in 19 other states. Yeah. So it's just because one person doesn't like you, keep trying, keep going. Use that as motivation to work harder. Keep always right. Um, I'm, I'm, every day I'm, I'm trying to come up with new stuff and just love what you do. Yeah. Like there's no better payoff than all that hard work, working like this last weekend, going to the Laugh Factory and just joke after joke, hitting, hit. Like it makes all that, those shitty nights feel that much better. Yeah. I was going to say, you, you're like, I, I can't give advice. Then you give great advice. That was awesome. I just don't think I'm important. You're like, I'm still I'm still on my way up. Mm-hmm. So my advice doesn't matter. You need to go to the bigger name. Like I said, Brad Williams, like he'd probably be a good person. I met that guy a bunch of times now. Unbelievable. Like, yeah. And it's just talk to people. Treat them like human beings. And that's going to be more important than anything in life, I believe. Right. So where do you want to be in five years? Where do you want your career to be at? Like. I don't really have a goal in comedy like that. My goal is just get as many weekend bookings as you could. Um, I don't care. If, if I'm only a feature the rest of my life, I'm happy with that. Because being able to get on stage in front of a room full of strangers to where after your 30 minutes, they think they know everything about you and they absolutely love you. Mm-hmm. That's just it's just it's That's what makes me happy. So I don't have these goals. Now I set individual goals each year. Like, last year, my goal was I want to work New Year's Eve. Because that summer in Detroit, I think I worked, like, 33 weekends that whole year. Which is really good for someone three years in. But I didn't work New Year's, and that bothered me. So that was my goal for the following year. Work New Year's Eve. And I ended up getting it. And it was that one-night stand. Coming back to one-night stands, Mm -hmm. the guy called me, like, three months out. He's like, hey, what's your schedule look like? I want to bring you back. And that's what means the world to me. Because anybody can get booked at a club one time. But when they bring you back, that means something. That's special. And and I was like, hey, is New Year's open? He's like, oh, man, I'd love to have you head. Absolutely. Like, let's lock it in. So I got to work my first New Year's this past uh, New Year's. That, that, was a, that was very meaningful for me. And, and it's not about me anymore. Because like I said, Detroit, that summer, I worked 33 weekends. And it was, it was going into that New Year's where I was kind of pissed off because I wasn't working. And I pull up my Instagram, and I'm like, I had a good year, right? Like, I'm feeling good about myself, but this video popped up on my phone. It was The Rock. You're a wrestling fan. Uh And it was him saying, it's nice to be important, but it's even more important to be nice. And at first, I'm like, god damn, government's out here watching me, (laughs) keeping me humble. But I was like, you know what? They're right. So for (laughs) 20 – or for the – 2022, it's weird to say. I'm used to 19 stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, For 2022, I also made another goal where after shows, all my merch I sell after, I'm no longer keeping that money. So all the profits, I I work with my buddy, the baseball guy. He has Mm -hmm. a foundation here in Dallas, the 60 Feet 6 Foundation. And it goes to help uh, families with children fighting cancer. Oh, yeah. So instead of keeping that money, I'm I'm not well off. Like the merch money is just bonus money. So I was like, let me use that through something I love doing to help others. So my goal for that year was to raise $1,000. Because, you know, as an opener, you don't always get to sell merch because usually a headliner sometimes is like, no, just me. Yeah. 
which is fine. They're, it's their show. So I, I just had a realistic goal of $1,000, and uh, I ended up raising $2,000 last year. Oh, wow. To go help them. And I, I go with my buddy a lot when we go to these children's hospitals to visit the kids. And he listen, he's a big baseball star. They're excited to see him, but they're just as excited to see me and nobody because we took time to come cheer them up. Mm-hmm. So it really, like, breaks your heart. And the thing I like about this foundation is they don't – everyone who volunteers, no, none of us get paid. We do it just to help them, and the money, like 100% of the money they take in goes to help these families. So, like, when a, when someone has cancer, their kid has cancer, the mom and the dad stop working. So now bills start piling up right? because you want to be there to help your kid, as you should be. So we kind of come in and help pay your bills so you can keep a roof over your head, buy groceries. It's just minor stuff like that, but it helps them help their kid and stay positive and fighting, like... That's awesome. What's it called again? Uh, the 60 Feet 6 Foundation. That's awesome. So definitely go donate to them. But like I said, you check out my uh, Instagram and stuff. I'm always, I, I don't make that up that I'm donating. I always post when I do so you know, like, the money really went there. Um, if you want, reach out to me. Uh, you could Venmo me, and I'll make sure all the money gets to them. I always do. I, I'm really passionate about that because that's just something, like I said, working with him taught me where it's not about you. It's what can you do to help others. And it's like... I want to help, so. That's freaking awesome. Well, you helped me out today by being on the podcast. I appreciate you having me. Hell yeah, dude. It was a blast. So thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Social media, where can they follow you? Uh, GingerNation96, uh, Instagram. I do have Twitter. I don't like Twitter, but I do have it. (laughs) But most of my comedy content you can get on there. I do have Facebook, Head Richards as well. Right on. Yeah, so go follow Head. Well, Head, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Ducky, it's an honor for me to be here. I appreciate what you do for us, seriously. Oh, dude, it's so much fun. And everyone out there, please support local comedy in any way, shape, or form that you can. And with that said, we will see you on the next one. Peace. And there it is. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. If you enjoyed it, please head over to ImprovTX.com to check out all our upcoming shows at the Addison, Arlington, Houston, and San Antonio clubs. If you like this podcast, you might enjoy the other podcasts on the ImprovTX Comedy Network. We have The Act Out. From open mics to the big stage, comedians tell us the story they've made, where I talk to comedians from all over and chat about their journey this far. Also, check out the Black Dog Retro Arcade Podcast. Straight from the arcade, we talk about how our favorite games were made that's right we're talking all that video game goodness and finally we have quacking up a storytelling podcast where we pick suggestions from a hat and tell stories based upon them once again thank you so much for listening please check out our social media all links in the description and with that we'll see you on the next one